The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Critical Mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Welcome to Fintech Insider. We are taking over today, currently from the Barclays headquarters in Canary Wharf. My name is Ashok Vaswani, and I work with Barclays UK. Couple of other folks from my team also joining. We have uh, Catherine. Catherine is responsible for all our products, particularly payment products. Say hello, Catherine. Good afternoon, Ashok. Nice to have you here. Thank you. We also have Ruchir, who heads up our digital efforts. Hi, Ashok. Welcome, Ruchir. And Frankie. Frankie does all our stuff on commercials and channels for all business lending products. Hi, Frankie. Hello, hello. Good. And we also have some familiar voices. In case you guys are lost, we've got David Rare and Simon Taylor. Hello. Hey, good to be back. Thanks for that opening, Ashok. Great Wonderful. job. Wonderful. So let's get started. Thank you very much for the intro, Ashok. Great to have you all with us on Fintech Insider. So jumping right into it, Ashok, um, you know, Barclays is a very strong global brand. But for those who aren't familiar with you guys, what is Barclays and how would your customers describe you? Well, Barclays, wow. Uh, it is a global brand. It's an organization that deals right from large governments, the United States, right down to Zimbabwe. Uh, it deals with the average person on the street. It deals with some of the richest people in the world. Literally, we cut everything. And if you kind of think about it, virtually everything we do, we eventually reach out for our wallet. And when you open your wallet, we are there to uh, help you complete what you want to do. You guys are a pretty big organization. You've been through kind of every challenge that the last 350 years has thrown at you and survived and come out of it pretty strong. Um, but the newest one on the horizon appears to be the subject of open banking, PSD2. What are your thoughts on PSD2? There's a lot of talk about banks being forced to give up their data. Catherine, talk to me about, you know, how do you see this? Are there opportunities or is this all downside from, from a bank perspective? I'm hugely excited about it. I think as a customer, it's going to present me with completely different opportunities about how to manage my finances. And as Barclays, we are right in at the heart of that and helping that happen. In order for me to do it, I want to be confident that I can recommend to my friends and family that they should feel comfortable to move their data around. So I think to really realise those opportunities, we need to make sure that we've got customer protection at the core so I feel safe, which means I can get all those great competitive advantages. 
So we talk about uh, APIs not being about banking and not being about uh, technology. It's really about those end-to-end customer journeys. Can you keep data safe whilst t- you know, taking it out of a bank account? Because I can imagine my mum going, wait, somebody from British Gas gets to see my bank transactions? This could be pretty scary. How do you, how do you make people feel like that's okay and that's secure? Is, is there a brand advantage here? So when we talk to customers, they absolutely say that the bank has a really important role to play because they know that if something goes wrong that the bank will put them right. And so that's why it's this really interesting balance that we need to get that's both enabling that data to be shared in a way that's safe and secure for me as a customer. And then I think you could say to your mum, it's absolutely fine if you knew that the way that data was being moved and who it was being moved to was a safe place for her to do it. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because obviously there's been a lot of uh, communication since internet banking existed not to do really what it is that we're now allowed to do. So it's a, it's kind of a changing dynamic there, isn't there, in terms of the, the customer relationship and, and actually what we're advocating, you know, to, to sort of do in terms of kind of sharing that information and moving it forward. So it feels like it's a, a real sort of tide change, doesn't it? But like you say, I, I guess uh, ensuring that all of the security measures are in place and then really how you manage people through that customer experience is going to be critical. I think coming on to um, the broader campaign we had earlier this year around Be Fraud Smart, it's going to become more and more important that customers know exactly what to do and not what to do. I think the growth of phishing emails and things like that, uh, Catherine's absolutely right. We have to get this right for the consumer. Cybersecurity will continue to be a societal challenge. This has huge upside, both for us as an organization, the economy and everything in between. But we absolutely need to make sure customers understand what we'd expect them to do and what not to do, which is why the security of this is absolutely paramount and something that's certainly on our minds. Can you give us an example of this upside then? So get, what could I do tomorrow in an open banking world that I, that I can't do today? So I think it'll be cool. I've got bank accounts from a number of different banks. At the moment, I keep an eye on them by logging into three different apps. I think it would be great if there was one where I could see everything and I could more easily move my money around. Or imagine if I could see my pension stuff, which frankly is completely invisible to me, and that was in the same place as all the rest of my finances and my insurance. Because financial services isn't particularly interesting to most people, but we do care about it. So making it easy and straightforward for me to manage it in one place, I think would be fantastic. David, you and I have talked about what does a bank need to do and not need to do in the future quite a bit on Fintech Insider before. And, and I think you know the, the, the narrow focus on where the strengths are and letting other people do, do other things is, is a pretty interesting one. But then if you're letting other people do other things, how do you bring that into a digital experience? Maybe, Rashir, you could talk a little bit about if you've got other people's products, other data there, how do you make that make sense in a, a whole picture? What, what are your thoughts from that perspective? I mean, I mean, you have to look at it and where the customers want to interact with us. So they could be on our assets, they could be off our assets. I mean, the expectation from customers is we provide them the best service wherever they want to interact with us. So let's assume that customers want to interact on our assets. Then you want to make sure that they have the, a very consistent experience, whether they come into digitally or they walk into branch. That means using external data, we need to make sure we bring that into a consistent experience. Now, if it's data that we want to provide to customers that are not on our assets, and we want to be there where customer need us, then that's where we need to make sure we have that experience for them there. So for example, if someone wants to use receipts within BNB or Barclays mobile banking app, we want to have a very consistent experience there. 
But if someone wants to access our information off our assets, then you want to make sure we provide the data so that they can accept it and use it there. Yeah, that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? That <clears throat> people will want to use Barclays data outside of the Barclays world, outside of your control. And yet at the same time, you want to make sure that it's safe, secure, and that they're enjoying themselves. How do you think about that challenge in terms of they're not using Barclays assets, they're not using a Barclays digital channel, but at the same time, you want to make sure that that, I mean, first and foremost, are you okay with that? I guess you're expecting that that's going to happen. And you know, if it's uh, a Barclays interaction through Alexa, have you thought about how people know it's still safe and secure and how people know it's still you guys in the background? I mean, that's where we spend bulk of the time and going back to what Catherine had to say. That's an area that we really want to draw transparency on. This is what the customer signing up to. At the end of the day, it's a decision that the customer is making. It's our job to make sure they understand the decision they're going to make. So to your point, if they want to use services through Alexa, we want to make sure that that information that's going to be available publicly. And they're making and taking that decision by actually knowing that's what they're going to be signing up to. And we will put all our energy in making sure the customers know that. At the same time, we want to make sure that at every event, we ensure that, that we are the custodians of that data and the customers knows that, know that as well. So we'll have checks and points to say, you know, are we keeping it safe as we go along? Now, there's a lot of debate going along how you authenticate customers, at what frequency you authenticate the customers. This is where I think our teams are making sure we do that at all the levels, even with the regulators. Because you've always got that balance, haven't you, of security versus convenience. And actually, if you make it too secure, nobody will ever use the thing. My, my worry is this has becomes another pay-em, you know, where it, it's a great industry initiative, but actually the volumes just aren't really there. If there is a significant volume in PSD2 and, and open APIs, do you see that as net beneficial to you guys? Do you see that as an opportunity for the business overall? So I think we see it absolutely as an opportunity. I think the balance that Rashir was talking about and your concern about payum, I know if I'm upgrading my phone app, it says you need to accept the terms and conditions. I don't read it and I just hit yes because that's what we've been trained to do because we know the phone won't work if we don't hit yes. So when we try and think about what's that right balance, the, the way one of the consumer groups talked to us about it, it's what's, what's the pebble in your shoe? It can't be sufficiently disruptive that you stop walking because that's a disaster. But you just need to have that moment so you think, is this something that I want to do? And it's a conscious decision, not an unconscious decision. And I think if we get that pebble in your shoe right, then I think we'll get all the benefits of it from a consumer perspective without that downside. I, th I think that's completely right. You know, there's so much talk about removing all of the friction from all of these processes. But in some instances, a little bit of friction actually ensures that people are doing what they should be doing and, and really taking it seriously. Um, there was a, a really interesting study by CGI that came out this week that actually said the ability to see your entire financial life in one place was only second to security measures. So I think that use case is, you know, absolutely on the head for, for what it is that people are really looking to achieve so but you know i don't think we should get hung up about looking at everything of your financial life in one place as the big use case right i think there are many other such nice use cases right the one i really love is the one about how folks like tesco and waitrose and sainsbury and everybody are all going out for uh, self-service checkouts right self-service checkout works out works brilliantly you just you know kind of swipe it scan everything it really works well. except for that moment where it's like remove item from bagging area that bit not so bad <laughs> you got somebody in the back call yeah. him uh, but the thing comes to a complete halt when you put a six pack of beer in front of it because you that that machine hasn't got a clue 
you know, are you over 18? Are you, are you like Frankie or yeah. are you like Ashok, right? <laughs> I did get ID the other day. I was quite happy with that. I'll tell you that. Wow. It's, it's the dimple, man. And, you know, and, that, and that's, that's the kind of point, right? So how do we interact with that machine, right? Because we've got this huge database of, you know, 24 million people to say, it's fine to give Ashok the beer and not give Frankie the beer, right? <laughs> so I think we should look at those kinds of things rather than saying, hey, everything's going to come out in the open and, you know, suddenly Nirvana is going to happen because everybody knows everything about everything, right? That, that I think, is a little far-fetched. Are we really going to see open banking then? Because, I mean, if we're having to make it quite secure and we're having to make sure customers know what they're doing, I think we the end-to-end customer journeys like that, where somebody's approving their ID with a known retailer, with a known corporate that you already have a relationship, I could kind of see people using APIs that way, but truly open in the sense where it's like Google Maps feels like it's it's actually a little bit different. Is is, is there a nuance here? I, th- I think it'll be interesting for the fintech geeks, and I'm sure everyone listening and everyone in the room will kind of enjoy this daisy. I think that's very a proportion of the customer base. I think even from our customers today, we offer the ability for people to see their personal and business accounts in the same place. A huge proportion of people choose to do that. Some people want it separate. Some people want to be able to segregate personal and business life in every aspect, whether it's personal email and business email being on the same device. So I think this ultimately will come down to people's preference. People may like to have, I know I have a savings account. I have no card for, I know I have to go into that place and I have a standing order set up the actual ability for me and go and draw that funds is next to zero from my perspective however if I need it I know it's there so I think this will come ultimately down to personal choice what people are looking for and the aspiration of 100% of people sharing data uh, will take some time and I mean 50 years 100 years from now I'm sure that will be the case but I think we'll need to ensure that it's specific to them individuals I mean just to build on what Frank had to say so I think open banking as a term it kind of gets academic, right? Because if you think of the world, it's about is data accessible publicly very easily? And that's where things like APIs coming in, standards come in. That's been there for a while now. And that's why you had people like Google say, I'll open up my maps and you can get it anywhere. I think that world is starting to happen. I think what you will start seeing is more of what are those experiences that you could create by starting to combining that information, those APIs. And then going back to what Frankie said, you know, people who can combine those experiences will attract consumers, make it very compelling, and that's, you know, who's gonna win in this space. So I think we keep talking about open banking, but it's just academic. It's it's kind of the regulators saying, these are the things I would like you to open up. But if you look at the world around us right now, there's a lot of data that's open and you can start using it to create experiences that are very compelling and attractive for us. It's, it's not just about the data that comes from inside the bank. It's actually everything that's already out there exactly. and remixing it. Exactly. Well, I think it's Ashok's point. We can't even begin to understand what the real scale use cases will be. And we won't really understand that until the data is there. And I was talking to a guy about it and he said he just bought a car and the car had auto dimming headlights and he said, I would have never asked for it, but now that I've got it, I'm absolutely addicted to it, and I think it's brilliant, and I wouldn't buy a car without it. And so you, you sort of look at it and think, we're only constrained by our imaginations at the moment, but the more people that get to engage, then there'll be use cases that work for me that don't work for Rashir. And I think that's when it gets really exciting, but we need to get through that foundational phase first. It allows the market to do interesting things. One of the things um, that 
the Monzo guys saw is people integrated the Uber APIs with their yeah. receipt APIs so that actually when you looked at an Uber journey that you'd had in your transaction history, you could also see a little picture of the map and the journey exactly. you took. The, the, those things that people, open developers will do. So I do hope that open developers can get their hands on those APIs and do interesting things. I think it's going to be a massive catalyst, as you guys are saying, for moving away from just thinking about products to owning the product. The services that you actually get while you're having it are as important as the product features themselves, which is fantastic. So, uh, so t- moving on a little bit, um, tell me your thoughts on omnichannel. This is a term we've heard in financial services for a few years. And obviously, our co-founder Jason talks about the death of omnichannel. He, he ha- hates the word because actually being able to do everything everywhere or start something somewhere and finish it somewhere else shouldn't be the goal in his view. D- do you think it's the goal to start something somewhere and finish it somewhere else? Or, or what's, what is the goal here? So, I've, so, so again, the word channel, omnichannel, I mean, all created by businesses, I mean, customers never think of, I'm going to go to a channel or I'm going to go omni-channel. They're saying, I want to be served with Barclays. That's how people look at it. And that's exactly our view. So the question for us is, how do you solve for customer need? And what is the need you're trying to solve for? Not about which channel you want customers to come to. It's about what do they want? Is it convenient? Well, they use their mobile banking app. If they have something they want to have a conversation about, they'll go and talk to someone in the branch or they'll make a call. The question for us is, what need are we trying to solve for? So if you put that in perspective, then the question to ask is, what is that need? Typically, a need for a customer who comes to us would be, you know, are you helping me save money? Not the question is, how many savings accounts you open? So when you start asking the question of, are you saving me money as a customer, then actually the outcomes that come from it are very different from saying, I want people to come to BMB to open a savings account. It's about... How do you give customers insights so they can save money? Now, if they want to do more with their money, we can very nicely nudge them to having a conversation with a banker to say, this is how you could actually save money or do more with your money. So I think for me, like Jason probably, and he's not here, uh, so tell him I feel the same that the word channel, omni-channel is something that businesses have created. It's more about starting from solving customer need. We'll tell Jason on his ski slope. Um, (laughs) Lucky, lucky guy. The other thing I would add is, It's also about how do you use capabilities very effectively. So what we've done is about a couple of years back, we said people who come into Barclays Mobile Banking already authenticated, but sometimes they have questions. And these questions not necessarily are to something they could have the convenience of doing right in their app. They want to make a call with someone. And instead of actually making them go through that whole frustrating journey of IDV, which all of us know, We said, make one call through your app, you're authenticated, and you speak with someone. We found a net promoter scores just skyrocket when they could have that conversation. Now, that's using capability of one channel, so to speak, in, inside another channel, but at the end of it, solving customer need. And that's about, how we look at it, yeah. There's something about you as an organization have all my data, but yet when I call you about my data, you ask me a bunch of questions that, like, you don't know me, is, is a strange experience. So changing that make, makes, a, makes a whole lot of sense. And I think it plays back to what you're saying about small use cases. You know, that's a small use case, but makes such a big difference when you're out and about and trying to get in touch with your bank, you know. It's, uh, it's not people see these as silly little features that don't make a difference, but actually in customers, lives that they are really really significant i think if you if you look at the volumes of um smart call or direct call as we we look at it it's just grown exponentially i think the really cool part for me is 
um, it has grown. However, for the reason people use it has changed over time. So people maybe called around pending transactions are changing their address. As we introduce new processes into digital, the reason that they use that feature changes um, absolutely. And they're kind of um, adoption lifecycle also changes as well. So I think some of these things feel, as you say, small at the time, but it's a minute on every single call asking questions you don't necessarily want to answer. Something like 30% of all of our calls go down that route. So it's just an incremental um, saving for them individuals. And as Rishia said, the NPS score just jumps through the roof because you just don't expect to be, hi, David, how are you? Um, so it's just a bit of a wow experience that just joins the two channels together. The amount of times I've rung up and got through to an IVR, I have to put a thing into that I completely mess up, that I end up hanging up and doing it again. You know, it's just, so yeah, remote, that's where friction being removed is fantastic. So. <clears throat> the other example, just to, to build on what Frankie said is, we talk about branches, but then what happens in a branch can be very different. So account opening, we started this journey about you know four years back, great journey digitally, but customers came in and then we had a completely different experience where they had to talk to a personal banker and spend one hour to get the same account number and sort code they could actually get digitally. And all we did is we took exactly the same journey that they could do online at home and we put inside the branch. Now, I don't know what you want to call that omni-channel, multi-channel, cross-channel, doesn't matter. But the point is when someone walked into a branch, we served them in about five minutes, they could get the account number and sort code. We use the capability of a digital online account opening process in the physical environment, and we solve the need of the customer. So your your colleagues are seeing the same as the colleagues end love it. Colleagues yeah. actually now say that I get more time to spend with that customer and talk about how I can help them with actually saving money, doing more with their finances, and that's where you want to get to. Speaking of digital channels, the um, the app you guys have wins. It's like a show pony. It wins awards. It's always pretty highly rated. There are a lot of new players in the market, though, that are, when it comes to mobile, and and there's some really interesting things out there. What do you think of them? Do you have any favourites? And and what are your thoughts on on the especially the four in the UK, but also globally? There's there's N26 in Germany. There's there's a whole bunch we're seeing now in Latin America. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's amazing that um, obviously you learn a lot from them when we look at them. Uh, it's nice to see what the teams have done internally with the Barclays mobile banking app. Uh, and it's great to see that it's been recognized by the industry and more importantly by customers. But I think it's just an amazing time because this world is evolving so quickly. So for us, it's about looking at those, those experiences saying what else can we do for our customers. Uh, and that's how we look at those. So it's more of great for the customer, something we can learn. I know the guys in Monzo are doing some fantastic work. We look at them. I know they look at our app and they learn from it as well. So I think that's where it is and, and make sure that we can learn from each other. I think one of the things that becomes interesting is, is how we all want to use it as different. So I was talking to one of the team. He loves one of the apps because it's giving him notifications every time he spends, every single time he spends. I listen to exactly the same thing and think, I don't want a notification every time I spend money. It would drive me nuts. But actually, I do want some. And so working out how to get something that I can set so it works for me, which will be different to Rashir and different to Frankie and different to Ashok, I think becomes quite important. Using data to figure out that uh, kind of needs of different uh, segments. I was at an event with the uh, FCA and the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute a couple of weeks ago where they were saying that people who suffer from anxiety or depression will have different needs in an app versus people who, you know, maybe going through a manic episode versus people who just want to budget more or people who do like notifications. We're, we're not all one consumer and actually 
building that configurability in is, is, is a hard thing to do whilst keeping a consistently good experience. Uh, yeah, inter- interesting point. So how do you how do you create that configurability? Because, I mean, Rashir, you, you've launched a thing called Launchpad. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that designed to, to kind of move in that direction to allow you to do so more? So we started a year back, and we had David actually when we launched Launchpad. Um, the whole idea behind it was how do we co-create with partners at the same time learn from our customers so we actually provide the best experience you know to our millions and millions of customers who actually use our digital assets today so we launched this app um, called launchpad uh, and what it does is it actually is like a beta version so you can do pretty much all the basic transactions that you could do on your mobile banking app but it then also invites customers to do more and learn from what they have in terms of feedback and so we've launched quite a few features. We've got over 10,000 customers, real customers who come and use it. Uh, the best part is they actually feel very privileged that you know, Barclays is asking for their feedback and they, they're, they're actually very happy when they see that then feedback carrying into the main app. So we've seen a lot of that happening uh, in terms of new experiences. What's also great is that we also use Launchpad as a platform to co-create. And we think that in this new world where you know, partners like, you know, the new fintechs working like like with a large fintech like Barclays, I like to call ourselves as a fintech, which, which we are, use ways in which they can actually use those experience to then get back to the millions of customers we have. So, for example, cybersecurity, always on our mind. There's a lot of small startups who've got some really innovative solutions that they can very quickly take to customers we have a place now, a platform called Launchpad where they can co-create and they can take to our customers. So that's how we've used Launchpad and are continue using it. And I think Launchpad is great. You know, I think it's a, an initiative that actually touches the customer, you know, and especially getting out to point around open banking, getting out ahead of open banking and, you know, using some of the techniques that you're going to have to at the point where all of the APIs are kind of released. It feels like it's um, getting out there before you really have to do that, which is fantastic, both from a customer experience perspective, but also the learnings that you can get internally for that is just phenomenal. I think it's um, as important to look outside of the traditional competitors as well. So uh, recent plug there, we did win the Memo Mobile Banking Review 2017, the awesome. second year on the trot, <laughs> yeah. even the year of the challengers. Uh, so we needed some like ping on the uh, the podcast at that time, some like bells, whistles. Uh, but I thought that was a really good uh, balanced view. But I think it's as important to look at non-competitors. I saw WhatsApp launching P2P payments in India today, Alibaba and what they're doing and the whole um, breaking down of things in Asia and the APAC region. Uh, we have to not just look at banks. Uh, we have to look outside of industry and what's going off because that's going to be more important in my view in the next five to ten years on that note we have a platform we call uh, 11fs pulse uh, and on that we benchmark all the fintech user experiences so we show videos of them and it's not just banks it's not just fintechs that are on there but we have the likes of wechat and alipay and others um, and even just transfer wise inside facebook and that experience it seeing videos of those experiences really does bring these things to, to life for people and it's not just looking at the traditional ones that you know, the especially from alipay and alibaba Barbar and, and Tencent, we're really seeing um, innovative customer experiences come from non-traditional players. I think to your point, Frank, as well, it's been the tone's been set outside of banking to a certain degree in some of it. You know, my my ease of buying my coconut latte that I had this morning at Starbucks was uh, kind of where the you payments... Ex- I know, I apologise for that. I have a beard, I have a coconut latte, what can I say? <laughs> um, so, it, you know, the idea that that's where my 
expectations are being set with what Starbucks are doing for payments, the, the broad ecosystem of what banking is, is getting broader and broader, isn't it? So does that say then that the business model needs to either change or that there's a need for additive business models here? Because you know the business model has been net interest income and fees. Like, and there's, there's other bits around it. There's, there's the lending piece that's really, really critical as well. So probably those three. But outside of those three, then you'd look down the balance sheet and the, you're kind of getting less and less, I suppose. Are there needs for new business models? So I sincerely believe that new business models will kind of uh, develop, right? Because you think about it, think about when, when the internet was just launched. Right, a whole bunch of people took their brochures and put the brochures on the internet and call that internet mm-hmm. banking or internet whatever. Right, but new business models developed, and I think now with technology and the ability to connect in many different ways, the people who will win are going to be the people who not only put their products, features, and services on the mobile, but actually use that as a platform to connect in many different ways. Right, uh, Catherine started with something really, really exciting around our rewards proposition. You may want to chat a little bit about that. Uh, but that's just the first step. So we're we're starting to get ourselves in a in a space where not only do I do my banking through Barclays, but I can also start to get value back through choosing to spend some of my cash through Barclays. And it's cool because now I go in and look at my statement online, and it shows me in my statement, which is where I go to have a look because I want to check my balance. Actually, you could have got money back if you'd shopped through here or if you'd used your Barclays card. And so for me as a customer, I'm starting to get value out of things that I do every day in a completely frictionless way because of that relationship with Barclays. And if you if you start with some of that, where you can go and the possibilities of it become fascinating. Absolutely. Because if you look at the internet business models that have done well, I think the, the two that haven't been really exploited by traditional businesses, and the one you're alluding to there is that more ad-supported kind of advertising rewards piece is, is a really interesting one. And then the other one is the subscription model. And I know you guys have feature store and things along those lines, but I, I wonder if there's more to be done there because you know the Netflix relationship or the Spotify relationship really feels very different to the kind of some of the other subscriptions you see. But I guess if we're targeting kind of younger generations looking at Frankie once again. If you're like a a young person looking to get into fintech, what advice would you give them? And two, would you choose Barclays to come work for if you're getting into fintech? I think so. Um, I have been here eight and a half years, so I started when I was seven. Um, <laughs> um, I've worked in eight different locations, so across the whole of the UK and the opportunities I've had. I'm sat in this room with you guys. I had sparkling water. I thought I'd done quite well. A guy from Yorkshire drinking sparkling water. Not quite coconut lattes, but I will get there, David. Yeah. Um, You've got a dream. You have to absolutely. dream. Absolutely. The opportunities I've been provided have been fantastic. I think the work we are doing with fr- from every single entry point, so apprentices, um, the higher apprenticeship scheme, which I came on, uh, the graduate programs, uh, the people that are coming on more experienced hires, the opportunities that people have in the whole of the UK, Americas, um, and in other areas, Barclays provides a opportunity globally to move around. And I know Ashok and many of us have worked in different uh, geographies as well. I think the big part of what I would say about Barclays and the differentiation for me is the diversity of leadership. So the number of people I've worked for, their different styles and what they've brought to me as an individual. But secondly, the ability to influence macro trends. Um, I was previously in Rashir's team until uh, December. We used to put changes into digital. Um, and as an example, we changed a few things on login. At the face of it, Customers, I guess, wouldn't have been able to see the difference. We reduced errors per week by 900,000. Wow. It's just 
hugely, the, the amount of macro scale you can change. Uh, one of the big things I worked on with Ashok and he used to hold me to account every week was uh, the number of people that used to call our digital help desk. In two years, we managed to halve that number from 70,000 to less, less than 30 um, and actually added an additional two and a half million people onto the platform. So the tweaks you can make, the impact it can actually do and 40,000 less people calling per week was just dramatic. So I think the ability to look at scale, understand the real uh, dimensions of what you can deal in a digital environment. But at the same time, I wouldn't say I, I no longer work in a traditional digital role, but it's as important for people across the whole organization to understand what digital can do for your business because it's absolutely paramount. So I got, I got to add to that. Sorry, Ashok, as, as, the, as many of you know, I used to work here and came in kind of doing um, a delivery manager role somewhere in the corporate bank and left three years later being the guy that um, you guys were pushing in front of like banks and governments as the blockchain person. So I, I can vouch for, yeah, you, you can get ahead in this place without question. What the UK is doing is we're doing the open banking stuff before anywhere else in the rest of the world. And so if you're interested in the future of financial services, one, the UK is the right market to be in. And evidently from my accent, I wasn't brought up here. But two, to Frankie's point about scale and the opportunities within Barclays, we're a company that spends a lot of time, as Rashir was saying, thinking like a fintech. And we've got the scale. So you're in the market that's got the most change and a company that's really embracing it um, with scale customers. It's kind of like, where else would you rather be at this point in time? So I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this, right? Obviously, I think it makes a lot of sense for a person who wants to try and make an impact in fintech to join a company like ours because we have the resources to get stuff done, right? So I, I can count 10 programs where we've spent a lot of money on and frankly, they've not gone anywhere, right? Yeah, so in that particular quarter, you know, in that particular half year, we may have blown our expense budget. We could have better utilized the resources and stuff like that. But you know what? Honestly, okay, we thought it was a great idea. We made a mistake. We, we drank a glass of water. It was over. We moved to the next thing, right? But you've got to have the capital and the resources and stuff like that to be able to make those mistakes. Nobody, I'm, I'm, I mean, the speed of change is so rapid that to think that everybody's going to get everything right is foolhardy, right? So having the ability to actually do it, having a culture where everyone as a team, we are committed, we're just absolutely committed to making this happen. So we're putting our money where our mouth is. Now, again, we don't get it right all the while, but we are putting our money where our mouth is. And finally, when I talk to the teams, I say, so what's your employee value proposition of coming to Barclays? I'm not promising you a great time. I'm not promising you a bed of roses or anything like that. What I'm telling you is that you will be able to seek out your highest potential, right? Now, you may at some stage say, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go and cash it someplace else, which is fine. Simon did that. That's great. He's doing really, really well. Uh, and we are glad for you. But the people who stay on every day, they're moving to seek their highest potential, right? And if we can keep providing that potential, then of course there'll be people who'll choose other careers, there'll be people who'll want to move to other geographies, there'll be people who want to move to a different pace of life and stuff like that. But while you're here, my God, we're going to continuously try and push you to achieve your highest potential. There's something incredibly rewarding about uh, delivering services that touch millions of people's lives, you know, and I think a lot of people in small fintechs may never see that type of impact in the market. And for, for me, having worked in a, a big bank also, then just that feeling every night that uh, you've delivered something that, you know, 
X many million people are going to be using as a, a day-to-day version of uh, how they actually interact with financial services is just uh, an amazing feeling. I was going to, I mean, I was going to add to Ashok's point, right? When can you say that you've had an experience that you're transforming an industry? And, and this time is so fascinating because you are actually transforming the industry as you're transforming people's lives. And very rarely you'll get that opportunity to say that. And Ashok, he tells all of us that it's not a bed of roses, but I can promise you one thing is that when we finish the transformation, you can actually go and tell people that you were there and you were a part of it, which I think is very fulfilling when you start thinking of you know what you can achieve uh, through that journey. Very cool. So speaking of young people and fintech and kind of like mixing that with a large company, can you give me an example where you guys have collaborated with fintech companies before? You mentioned Launchpad earlier, but do you have a specific example maybe? I mean, we've done so much with, um, you're probably familiar with Rise and the Accelerator programs. I mean, we've got quite a few, you know, companies there that actually we mentor take through. Uh, we're working with a few right now. We've, you've heard about Wave we did with blockchain. You're very close to that. Uh, there's some cybersecurity firms we're working with. There's Insert IO. There's a whole slew of them. We strongly believe that if we can create a platform for partners to come and co-create, then those experiences will help us win with our customers. It also helps the partners. And we strongly believe that it's kind of the three ways, you know, winning combination if you can get it right, is if your customers win, number one, if your partners find value and they can win, and with that combination, then if Barclays wins, then everybody in that equation wins. And I think that is a virtuous cycle and we are building on that. I think some, um, we mentioned it when I was on in January, was around helping solve specific problems. So the whole, give us a paracetamol, not a vitamin, I think was the quote last time. Uh, but actually, I think we've done some really cool stuff with some Tel Aviv-based startups around fraud prevention. The amount of um, benefit that's provided behind our online banking platforms comes onto the start of the discussion. Them kind of things solve real societal issues. And it's another thing Ashok always tells us, if we're not solving a societal problem as an organization, then we shouldn't exist. So that's absolutely what we need to do as well. So I think the, the big play for, as she has said, is partners come and show us what problems you can solve for either our customers or for us as a business. And we're always open to discussion. So how do they do that? How do they get in touch with you? If I'm in a small fintech and I think I could really help Barclays with this, and if only they saw it, who, who do they get in touch with? We've obviously got this whole API store that we launched, so they can start there in terms of looking at our APIs. On Launchpad, you can actually go to the website and, and connect there and say you want, we're in, interested in having that conversation. And then we've got Rise. I mean, a lot of companies come in through that. Um, we have conversations, actually a lot of us around this table go and mentor those, those companies. So there's different avenues so check out in. Launchpad, check out Barclays Rise, get in touch and, and find them on Google. And, and we've got Nine Eagle Labs and growing. We've got Nine Eagle Labs, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, nine, and I, I'm hoping we can get to like 50 Eagle Labs, right? Mm-hmm. And those 50 Eagle Labs have got nothing to do with even fintech, right? But that's the fascinating part about it, right? So think about somebody who comes and just wants to do something with the home, right? Nothing to do with fintech, but something to do with home. At the end of the day, am I in the business of selling mortgages? Or in this connected world, am I in the business of really making people land a home or live better in a home or manage a home, right? Completely different kind of mindset, right? And therefore, you get into the Eagle Lab, do something, you know, hey, if we don't like it, one of our corporate partners would like it and go. That new form of collaboration is a really interesting thing. The the idea that um, you're a part of a bigger picture and there's a humility there that's, that's pretty interesting. 
Um, so talk to me a little bit about then, can you do all of this stuff with uh, kind of legacy um, core banking? Is that really possible? I mean, we're doing it today, right? So, I mean, the word legacy, again, I think it's it's got its own connotation. So legacy for for people now, if you think of people who write code today, would say code that you wrote three years ago is legacy. Ashok keeps saying this every day that, you know, 2017 is going to be the slowest year in the next decade. He's absolutely right. The point here is that I think what is legacy is something we should stop. We don't worry about it. The question is how adaptable are we and how nimble can we be in this new world? And there's ways to do it. And we talked about, you talked about it. Uh, There's ways to have APIs to actually absorb change, make sure you're adaptable, be nimble. And that's the kind of stuff we're doing. We're not worrying about, oh, we've got legacy systems. Everybody has legacy systems. You're telling me Google doesn't have legacy systems? Absolutely. They built code 10 years back. They have legacy systems. Question is, how can they adapt very quickly? And that's what we focus on. So how do you create a stack that we can adapt very quickly on? It's interesting. Google talk about pushing 50% of their code every day with with continuous integration. And and I think whilst there is a, a cycle of renewal there, there'll still be some code, I'm sure, that, that that's quite old. Um, but but I think as well, as much as anything, it's, it's about how you do it, not just what's there and, and the culture side of it and, and the knowledge of those people. There's... Um, blog post by um, Paul Titterson, one of the MDs here, a um, few few weeks ago, talking about the competitive advantage of people in a digital age. When we hear stories in the market about you know, digital transformation, X bank is spending X billion, Y bank is spending Y billion on digital transformation, what often gets missed is, what are the people going to be doing if we're automating them all out of jobs? Are they, are they going to have a role and, and do they make a difference? It was interesting. I was with a group of 20-year-olds talking to them about life insurance, which is not something you want to think about when you're 20. And it's a pretty straightforward product. You could do it all digitally. And they all paused and said, I don't want to do that digitally. It's like, well, why not? Thinking it's pretty straightforward. And their view was, it's a big decision how much you think you should be insuring your life for. And I haven't had to make that decision before. And actually, I really want to talk to somebody about it. Or if I talk to a customer who has had a fraud on their account, or they've been, as Frankie was saying, socially engineered, those customers are saying to us, I want a police report. I want a crime number. I want it to be treated like a crime. And actually, I really want to talk to a person. And so I think having digital working beautifully with people means that the people can do all the stuff that actually people are brilliant at. And the digital can do the basic transactional stuff that actually the faster it happens, the better. And so I think getting the best of both worlds, which is what we can do, is incredibly powerful. I think I come from a, um, my dad was a mechanic. Um, as you can see, I'm from Yorkshire. Um, so my dad was a mechanic and he set up his own business when he was 30. Um, it was him, his business partner, my mum that set it up. He now employs um, 350 people. The relationship he has with his corporate RD is next to none. If he wants an answer, if he's going to buy a business, if he wants some um, information, my dad doesn't necessarily go on to online. That person, that RD has been with him for the last seven years over his 20 year business life. And the relationship that he's created with that individual 
Um, and you can see the power, which is why um, I moved to business lending, which is where where I'm now sat. I've seen what impact it's had to my family and to the whole kind of local economy of as that as that business has grown as well. So I think digital um, will absolutely augment the human reality. Um, humans will augment the digital reality as well. And absolutely, it's what we can do more. You guys have seen um, the Digital Eagle program, which has been copied and pasted, attempted. Um, I don't think anyone's quite cracked it as yet, but... Um, um, you walk into that branch and you, sh you see an 80-year-old customer that's come in with a telephone that their uh, children have bought them or their grandchildren have bought them for Christmas and get that set up for the first time and they can see their balance. It's just amazing. They never have to come in when the weather's bad. They still want to come in and have a conversation, do what they need to do. But the lack of worry that they don't have to do it anymore and they can pay their bills. And it isn't for everyone. But And the people that are actually doing it, we have someone called Silver Eagles where people are like maybe a little bit older in the branches that want to call themselves that. And it's just... It is a big cultural shift and then people will continue to be important for years and years ahead. And going back to your earlier question about what Barclays has to offer, this is one of the things, right? I mean, you think of evolving, adapting to the new world. These are the opportunities we get in Barclays. And the amount of time we spend, um, in fact, you know, within our team, we get people from the branch. And some of the brightest ideas that come up in this new digital world come up from those people who actually come into our digital team from the branch network. And I think the, the point here is what we want to create and instill in people is be curious, always learning, and then we'll provide the support for you to keep learning. And I think that's going to be the key fundamental driver for all of us around this table. Imagine 10 years later, if I continue talking about APIs, the world's moved to something completely different. And I think that's, that's kind of the culture shift that we are trying to make within Barclays so that we can keep evolving. So it's not about automation, jobs going, it's about how we evolve, adapt, and create those new experiences, new ways for people to evolve. So, so you mentioned 10 years time. What, what do you think both Barclays will look like in 10 years? And what do you think the customer experience will look like? And I know crystal ball gazing is dangerous, but like, <laughs> let, let's, let's have a stab at it. Is this the brand dissolves and you just become data pipes like happened in the, the telco industry? Like, or is it some, some hybrid of that? Or is it more you know, kind of something new we, we haven't even thought of? The only bank that's going to be remaining is Barclays. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you answer it, right? It's very difficult to foretell 10 years down the lane. Um, I mean, we have a legacy of being there for the last 327 years. So I don't think it's going to change. I think we will evolve. We've got the right mindset in the business to constantly evolve where the customers are. Uh, will business models evolve? Yeah, they will. They may be. Uh, will we be there? Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, what the best part is that it's going to evolve towards where the customers continue to win. So that's uh, how I look at it. I think at our heart is a trusted relationship with customers over generations. And I think that's going to continue to grow and grow in strength. And I think the only thing, well, there'll be many things that will be different, but I think one of the biggest differences is what I trust Barclays to do and help me with will be broader and different than it is today. That's interesting because we've talked on the show before about kind of um, marketplace banks that you know kind of have other things that are plugged into other things versus kind of more infrastructure banks. We've seen Oak North, for instance, and a few others that are focusing on just being pipes and commoditizing. You may have seen ClearBank as well into the industry as, as very interesting initiatives focusing on just being the pipes. These are pretty disruptive moves. It sounds more like the marketplace and 
being focused on end-to-end customer journeys is the future there. I guess that kind of brings us to a conclusion from our questions. What should people take away from this interview and where should people go to learn more about some of your key initiatives? So I guess the website is a great place uh, for us to go. We put out a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. Uh, talk to any one of us, right? I mean, I, I get emails from a whole bunch of people. Most of the time, I respond to all my emails and I do it myself. And, you know, I'd put you, if I don't know, I'd put you in touch with the right person. Uh, we're all about uh, learning. We're all about trying to figure out how to do this better. And best best way to know about what we're doing is just bank with us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that's the answer to everything. No, uh, I just want to say thank you, everyone, for your contribution today. Great Barclays takeover. You guys kicked some backside. Um, so it uh, just remains for me to say to our listeners, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast, please tell some friends about our podcast we've got to spread the love and leave a review for us on iTunes it helps people discover us that's it for this week thank you very much thank Thank you. you